Children's Church would like to do that. Uh, you know, I really love to see people sing like they know who they're singing about. Amen. It's kind of like you met folks that sing and act like they hate what they're doing. Well, that's not it. You ever, this probably never happened to you. You ever went to hear a preacher and you wonder if that word's really alive in him or not? You wonder what happened? Well, I want you to know, I pray that when you come in here for worship, whether it's a song or a sermon, that you walk away saying, those folks have been with Jesus. Amen? Right. They've walked with God, and I believe that. So, amen. amen. Sure it's good to see Bobby making it out here. Amen. Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> amen. I was just thinking, though, when we was finishing that song, I bet we're worshiping with a lot more excitement on this side of the state line than they are on the other this morning. Amen. Just, 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 just thought. Amen. Just a thought. My mind works like that. You know, I've not heard from not one of my Georgia friends all night. I don't know. Usually, they were wearing me out last week, but I, I don't know. You just never know. Hey, Genesis chapter 42. I'm just grateful, though, as I tell y'all from week to week. I enjoy having fun with those things, but I'm so glad that we have so much more to live for. We have so much more to be grateful for, and I tell you, after the kind of week I've had, I just really was looking forward to being here to worship this morning. Um, i just tell you real briefly, uh, you pray for us this week. Uh, as of last Monday, um, my mother, they had discontinued all medications except for comfort medication, and that's been going on all week. It's been a really tough week. Uh, yeah, past few days have been really tough. I went by this morning. I'll go back again in a little while. But um, I really was looking forward to being here with y'all today. Amen. And uh, there's a couple reasons why. One is because the Lord has placed a real deep burden and burning in my heart for the people of God, for his word. And I really just know that the prayers of God's people are with us. And I just know that this morning, I just really sensed that God was going to visit us in a special way today. Amen? Really did. So I'm grateful. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1 is where we'll pick up in our reading today. If you found your place and physically able, would you stand with us in honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God? I know when you saw that flash up there, Genesis chapter 42 through 45, y'all all just fell out, right? Inside, you just went, oh my goodness, didn't you? Well... Don't panic, I, don't panic at all. I, I tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her seventh husband, don't plan to keep you long, but anyhow. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> Genesis, <laughs> you liked that, didn't you, David? Okay, okay, okay. The, to this afternoon, he'll crack up about that again. <laughs> Genesis 42, verse 1. We're going to read five verses or so here, and then we're going to pray ask God maybe something there and ask God to bless the word today Genesis 42 says when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt Jacob said to his sons why do you look at one another and he said indeed I have heard that there is grain in Egypt go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die so Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin for, with his brothers, for he said, lest there some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Father, in Jesus' name, 
pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word. Help me, Father, to articulate the truth you have burned into my soul to your people. And may the Son of God be glorified through the faithful proclamation of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of forged to forgive. Last week when we left our friend Joseph, we had learned of his rise in the ranks of royalty in the land of Egypt. After 13 years of living in bondage, the pit and the prison, experiencing extreme betrayal at Potiphar's house, now he had found favor with the Pharaoh. And he had now been promoted to second in command of all of Egypt because of his ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. After he interpreted the dreams, he was given the responsibility of overseeing the harvest of the grain during the seven years of plenty that was prophesied through his first and second dream. Seven years of plenty so that they would be prepared for the seven years of drought that would soon follow behind. Chapter 41 taught us of the diligence of Joseph and how his efforts were so effective that he accumulated an immeasurable amount of grain. It could not even be counted. And now the other countries would come to Egypt seeking to buy grain from them due to the severity of the famine that they were facing. So as we talk about the subject of being forged to forgive, today I want you to notice with me, if you will, here in chapter 42 as we will travel through, we will notice Joseph is being reunited with his brothers. That's the first thing I want you to notice today. Chapter 42 opens with Jacob sending his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And soon after that, just below our reading just a moment ago, we find that they came face to face with Joseph. They came face to face with a brother whom they had not seen since he was 17 years old. We're about 22 years past that now. He's in his late 30s, almost 40. They had not seen him in this amount of time and did not recognize him. When he was first reunited with them, there's a couple of things we have to notice that had to go on in the heart and mind of Joseph. The first thing I want you to notice about that is, is there was the burden of the memories. Now, if you backtrack for a moment in chapter 41, verse 51, you notice that God gave him a son named Manasseh. Manasseh means, for God has made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. He also gave him a son in chapter 41, verse 52, named Ephraim, which means, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He had give him, given him a son that he might be forgetful of the pain and fruitful in the future. John MacArthur said this, he said, despite all Joseph had endured, God was still at the center of his thinking and the Lord enabled him to put the pain of the past behind him to enjoy the blessings in the very place where he had endured so many trials. However, we can only imagine that this most unexpected reunion with his brothers caused some very painful memories to flood his mind. The narrative beginning in chapter 42 through chapter 43 through chapter 44, the first 25 verses, 
they detail for us the most intriguing interaction between Joseph and his brothers. Not only did he have to deal with the burden of the memories, but he also had to deal with his brother's motives. Joseph puts his brothers through a series of tests. He does so without ever exposing his true identity to them. Well, how did he do this? Well, first he kept Simeon behind one of his older brothers. He sent the other brothers to the, back to their father to persuade him to send his baby brother Benjamin, who he had not seen since he was a toddler, back with them. When they went back to see their father, Reuben, one of the older brothers, recklessly offered the lives of two of his own children if they did not return Benjamin safely to their father. But his other brother Judah steps forward and he gave himself. He said, I won't give you my children, I'll give you myself if Benjamin is not returned safely. So Jacob accepted Judah's offer. He sends them back to Egypt with Benjamin. In chapter 43, when they returned with Benjamin, they were all reunited with Simeon. If you'll notice chapter 43, and if you'll look at verse 24 and 25, you'll see what happened in that reunion. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, washed their feet, and gave the donkeys to feed. And then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Wait a minute, they're at Joseph's house now and they're bringing them in, they're setting the table and they're washing their feet. Wow, that's a huge story. But if you get in the story of verse 26 of chapter 43 and following, you notice some interesting things happen. In verse 27, Joseph wants to know about his daddy. He wants to know if Jacob's alive and well. He wants to know how he's doing. And then he gets the opportunity to see Benjamin for the first time in verse 29. Over 20 years since he's seen his baby brother who his mother died giving birth to and now he sees him in verse 29. But in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 43, Joseph is overcome with emotion. His heart yearned for his brother so he made haste and he sought somewhere to weep. And he went into the chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and he came out. He restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So what happened? He's asked about his father. He sees Benjamin for the first time. He's overcome with emotion. And then he feeds his brothers from his table. But there was one final test that Joseph would put his brothers through in chapter 44. And as the brothers were returning to Canaan with grain, he put his silver cup, which was a very valuable cup, he put it in Benjamin's bag. And soon as they went off on their way, he sent the officers after them to retrieve the cup, but more so to gauge the response of his brothers. He wanted to see how they would behave. Would they sell out their baby brother Benjamin the same way they did him? Had there been any change in them over these 20 plus years. Would they do the same? Well, no, that's not what happened. Judah, one of the older brothers that gave himself, who told his father, if I do not return Benjamin safely, you can take my life. Judah rose to take the blame and his response touched the heart of Joseph. 
Judah offered himself to remain a slave if they would just set Benjamin free. Wow. Judah's not the guy he was 20 years ago, is he? Something about life and circumstances and trial and tribulations changed the old boy. Something about being hungry and have to go buy grain from the enemies got to him a little bit. Something had changed in his heart. Also, he had been working on Joseph's heart. Just as much as God had worked on the hearts of others, God was really working on Joseph's heart. And at this point, he was doing so to prepare him for the most important test of his life. He was reunited with his brothers. But notice the second truth with me. Ultimately, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Joseph is about to demonstrate one of the greatest examples of forgiveness we've ever could find in the word of God. In chapter 45, verse 1, the Bible says, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. No man stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He's about to forgive them for putting him in the pit. He's about to forgive them for selling him to the enemy. He's about to forgive them for all of the calamities that came into his life as a result of being ostracized by his blood brothers. How can somebody demonstrate that kind of forgiveness? Well, I was listening to Tony Evans here this week, and that gets me in trouble sometimes. I listen to him every week, amen? Read him every week. I'll tell you, and there was something he said about this subject that really got me. When he talked about forgiveness, he said there's two types of forgiveness. One is what we call unilateral forgiveness is when you forgive even when the offender doesn't seek forgiveness. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'll forgive them if they ask me? Real spiritual, isn't it? No, it's real dumb. Yeah, no. Because look here. It's not about them. It's about you. And unilateral forgiveness means that. See, when the matter sometimes is so small that it's not worth mentioning, you've just got to extend unilateral forgiveness. When the forgiveness is not requested, you've got to extend unilateral forgiveness. Or when you can no longer ask for forgiveness due to death, relocation, or circumstances beyond your control, you must extend unilateral forgiveness. You must decide to release them even though, even though there's no longer an opportunity to reconcile with them. Amen? But there's also another type of forgiveness that we see in Joseph's life. And, and Evans calls it this. He calls it transactional forgiveness. Here's what transactional forgiveness does. He said it starts with a private meeting and not a public charade. You know what he's saying? You can save the drama for your mama. Amen? We, I'm telling you right now, Baptist folks, don't you hear me, Dave? If we would just adopt the slogan, save the drama for your mama, our churches might experience revival today. Amen? I think we'll get a t-shirt at Heflin Baptist, save your drama for your mama. I don't know. Anyhow. No, listen. And this type of forgiveness is the type that Joseph demonstrated. How do we know that? Well, first of all, we see it through divine providence. 
In verses 1 through 5 that I read just a part of a moment ago, chapter 45, Joseph gets to the point he just can't take it any longer. He has withheld his identity. He has tested his brothers. He has seen evidence of some change. His daddy is still alive and he sure wants to see him again. He has now been reunited with his baby brother and he gets so emotional that the people beyond the walls of the palace could hear the wailing of Joseph. No, no, let's go on and see what happened. Verse two, and he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. This meant that he lost all of his righteous indignation. This meant that he was so emptied of himself and so overcome with emotion that he'd been reunited with his brothers and he was gonna get a chance to see his daddy again. He just couldn't help himself. That's another thing I wish we could get today is just a good old-fashioned case of the can't help it. Amen? I'll never forget. Y'all you know, sometimes I try to be a dignified Baptist. Are you saying I'm failing, Alan? Okay. But there are some times when the spirit of the living God and an opportunity to worship God overcomes me, I just got to get up on my feet. Never forget my, one of my churches. I told this lady one time who was in the choir, I said, you know, man, that song right there, I think, boy, it just makes me want to stand on my feet and praise God and worship She said, ha, 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 in this church, preacher, if you stand up, you'll be standing by yourself. Well, I did for about two Sundays. Guess what? The fever started catching. Amen. It's okay to stand to your feet and lift your hands and your head and your heart and your voice to heaven and say, oh God, I can't believe you love me. I just want to give you praise. Look what Joseph did. He was weeping so loudly that his emotion went beyond the walls. God, there's a word right there, church. Can you imagine the mindset of his brothers? Look what happened. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. You know what they said, Barney? You don't look like you used to. I want to help y'all. I don't look like I did 22 years ago. I want to help you. Neither do you. No. They could not believe that they were in the presence. They had already bowed down to him just like his dream said. Couldn't believe it was him. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. How could they be certain it was him? <laughs> the answer is in the words where he said, come near to me. Hebrews had a distinguishing mark on them, didn't they, gentlemen? They had the distinguishing mark of physical circumcision. Egyptians did not. This distinguishing mark of circumcision was the final proof that he was their brother. Wow. See, the weight of the sin was on them. Joseph did not pretend that he was not offended. 
And forgiveness doesn't mean that an offense wasn't committed. Here's what Joseph said though. I am no longer holding you hostage and by setting you free, I set myself free. <laughs> oh my goodness, it was their grief. And it was Joseph in that grief, he confronted them. You know what he said, verse five? Joseph said, come near to me. He said, uh, I am your brother whom you sold in Egypt. He said, you know what? You sold me, but God sent me. <laughs> Part of God sending me involved you selling me. So how could he respond in this way? Well, this is the part I've been so excited to get to. I've been so excited to get to this part of the sermon, I just can't get over it. They're not as excited as I am, Connie. I think the key is in a passage we read in Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Y'all read that? It's in there, okay. I think the key's there. Me, me and Tony, boy, we dug in right here. In Isaiah 40, 31, the key word is wait. They that wait upon the Lord. There's a real vivid illustration in this that we just can't miss. When he says to wait on the Lord, the word picture means to plait the hair. So wait a minute. Now see, that's not something most of us guys can do. I can't, I don't have enough hair to plait. Never did. Some of you guys don't either. You ladies know what I'm talking about. My girls used to play beauty shop. Y'all girls do that? And they'd braid. I get me kind of like braiding. What it is 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 a word picture of intertwining the sections of hair tightly because straight hair is loose and it's hanging down. Like I knew, I remember when I was growing up, you know, a lot of cars didn't have air conditioning in them. My girls can't fathom getting in a car that was hot and the only way you could cool it down was the 280, two windows down, 80 miles an hour, right? No, they can't fathom that because, you know, when they were little girls, they loved, we'd put the window down and we just, their hair would just blow and they'd just sing. And, but they, something happened to them. They got to about middle school and they started thinking you had to like fix up before you went to school. What's that all about? And, and, and then they started saying this, Daddy, Daddy, could you roll the windows up? It's messing up my hair. I remember that. Broke my heart. I knew my life was over then. No, straight hair is hanging down. Planted hair is tightly woven together. It is no longer subject to the blowing of the wind. Planted hair is woven tight. You can ride where the wind is down with that. It's kind of like a rope. You take a rope and you intertwine the threads and it increases the strength of the rope. Isaiah saying wait on the Lord does not mean to just passively sit down idle and do nothing and just hang out. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about planning your life, taking your life and intertwining all of your life and everything in your life so that your whole life is wrapped up in what matters to God. Wow. You know what this means? It means you can't separate church from the rest of your week. Well, that's what we do on Sunday, preacher. 
I just want to tell you, if you're going to walk with God, here's what you need to know. Who you are on Sunday needs to be who you are between Sundays. It doesn't mean somebody you pretend to be on Sunday because look here, if you came here thinking, well, I can't go to church because everybody there is just perfect and I'm all messed up. Listen, you're in a room full of messed up people. One of the most messed up people in the room is standing right in front of you. We're messed up. We're not perfect. I'm not here because I'm perfect. I'm here because I'm messed up and I need him. <laughs> God, help us. No. You can't separate church the rest of the week. You know, we gotta realize who we are and what really needs to happen is, as Tony Evans says, we need to say to God, I'm gonna plant my circumstances, my desires, and my goals and I'm going to intertwine them with you Sunday to Sunday. I'm not just going to straighten my hair on Sunday and be subject to the blowing wind of life all week long. I'm going to get so tied up in you because when things are bad enough, the problems just won't leave you alone, church. Hear me. When things get bad enough, the problems pursue you relentlessly. That's why you need to be here in this house you don't need to be entertained. You need to be introduced. You don't need to be entertained or anything like that. You need to be introduced to the one true God that you need to walk with every day of the week who will help you through every hill and every valley. So how do we know if we're waiting on the Lord? And how do we know if we're waiting on him in the manner that he desires? How do we know that we're walking with him in difficulty like Joseph? You know that because when you're waiting on God in the manner that he desires, you spend the majority of your time worshiping and not complaining. Psalm 130, verse five and six says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the, uh, the, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Friend, listen to me. When your circumstances get out of control, and all of ours are at some point, when things in life seem to be collapsing all around you, you need to stop right where you are and ask God to remind you of who he is. So often we only want to praise him for what he does and not just who he is. I believe that with all of my heart. We need to tell God how much we need his presence. We need to tell God how much we need his character being displayed in our life. And we need to look to him through every difficulty. When your circumstances get all wrapped up, you need to get all wrapped up in him so that he can be intertwined and interwoven into every area of your life and help you walk with him regardless of your circumstances Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 the Lord is good to those who wait for him <laughs> he's good to those who soul who seeks him it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord you know it's very difficult to wait on God when you're in a trial a lot of folks only want to get close to God when the trials show up. But I want to tell you what will help you is if you'll get real close to him when there's not a trial. So that when the trial does come, 
You don't have to become anybody else other than who you are and keep walking with God through that trial. Isaiah said, and also in Isaiah 40, 31, he said, I'm gonna renew their strength. You know what that means? It means he's gonna give you strength that you don't already possess. <laughs> and how does he do that? Three ways. This is not on the screen. This is extra free and at no extra charge, okay? Here's how he renews your strength. Sometimes he does it by divine intervention. He says that those that wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know, I studied something about eagles one time, did a big study on eagles. I learned some neat things about eagles, learned how keen their eyesight is. Even learned that they are monogamous. Did you know that? One eagle takes up with another eagle and stays with that eagle for their entire life. Woo. I, was, I thought that was pretty awesome. I'm like, what do y'all do? Put a band on them? Or something? I don't know, but the people who have nothing to do but watch birds all day know that. And they tell people like me who can't sit still long enough to watch a bird, okay? No, but here they do. The mother eagle will one day decide that the baby eagles are ready to learn how to fly. And they'll take them out for a little flying lesson. <laughs> they put them on their back. At some point, they'll slide out from under them. You know what that baby eagle does? I know you're thinking, why they just take off and fly like eagles? No, 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 no. They need some practice. They flounder and they flop and they, they, they get in a mess and they start falling and losing altitude. And, uh, and then, then the mother eagle will notice, well, you know what? They're not quite ready for that. We've got to put the training wheels back on. So we're going to have to go back to the nest and get the training wheels. So that old mother eagle will swoop down out of nowhere and catch that baby eagle and take it back to the nest. You know, sometimes that's the way God shows up for us, isn't it? We're out there floundering, aren't we? Anybody floundering besides me? Okay. It's okay. You don't have to confess now. You tell God about it. But look here. We've all floundered at some point in our time. And there have been times that God has swooped down out of nowhere when I didn't see him coming just in the hour that I needed him most. He showed up and he swooped and he taught, brought me back to the nest, brought me back to the house of God, let me worship with the people of God. He often does that, but that's not the only way he renews our strength. Sometimes he does it due divine intervention. Sometimes he does it by divine enablement. He says they will run and not get weary. Sometimes God allows us to run through our problems. Not around them, not over them, not under them, but through them. And he does so by giving us that second wind to help us stay focused on him. There are times he intervenes and rescues us. There are times he enables us to endure. But then there's a third way. Sometimes he does it with divine encouragement. He says they will walk and not faint. Sometimes you get to my age in life and older, you realize you can't run anymore. And you have to walk. Now look here, I can walk from here to Birmingham. I really think I could. It might take a month, but I mean, I get there. But I'm kind of like old Greg Laurie. I heard him talk about it one time. He said, I can walk anywhere. But when I begin to run, every cell in my body screams painfully, right? There comes a point in your life you can't no longer run, so you got to walk. And in this way, here's what God does. He does not change the situation, 
but he changes you while you're going through the problem. And see, Joseph, he didn't always change his circumstances, but boy, did he change old Joseph. He was a little immature when he was 17, like we all were. Amen? Amen? Uh, look here, he, he, he kind of boastfully throw off, look here, I had these dreams, and y'all all gonna bow down and worship me, and they got ticked, right? But no, no, God worked on him through the 22 years. And you know what? He provided that encouragement that he needed to get through the problem. Sometimes here's how God does it. Sometimes you'll be feeling low and you'll be up here in the choir and you'll walk off the platform and somebody will catch you out there and say, man, that song bless my soul. Amen? Now, there's sometimes somebody gives you a word of encouragement. I've got it in my pocket right here. I got the sweetest note this week. Oh, it's worth a million dollars to me. The sweetest note, somebody just encouraged me. Tell me that the word of God was speaking into them and they were being helped by the preaching of the gospel. Man, that fired me up. Amen. Sometimes it may be a special song. Maybe it's a special word and a sermon. Uh, maybe it's something that speaks directly to your situation. Have you ever come to church and said, man, the preacher could have emptied the place out. He only talked to me. Y'all been there? Oh, I have. I've been there a bunch of times thinking everybody else could have went home. I'm the one that needed that. Here's what happens when you receive divine encouragement. God doesn't change the problem, you change. Sometimes God puts you in a position to accept a situation that he doesn't intend to change. In all three ways, he gives new strength. Sometimes, as old Evan says, you get up and goes, got up and went. Amen? Sometimes you don't have anything left in the tank. But regardless, here's what God wants you to know. He's with you, and he's with you in everything that you're going through. Notice with me also, he talks about distinct preservation. Three times in chapter 45, verses 4 through 8, Joseph emphasized that God was behind all the events of his life. Wow. He emphasized that God had placed him where he was to preserve him, and not only to preserve him, to preserve the lives of his family. Verses 9 through 15, you know what he told him? He said, get back up here and get my daddy. We still got five years of famine left, boys. And when you go get him, tell him about all my glory down here in Egypt. Wow. You see, getting Joseph's family to Egypt would ensure that they not only survived, but they thrived in famine. You know, it wasn't long ago the brothers were bowing at his feet just pleading for the opportunity to buy grain. And now they're sitting at his table. You know what they're doing? They're sharing in his glory. And they're going back to get their daddy and say, Daddy, he's alive. He's not dead. He's the governor of Egypt. Daddy, you ain't gonna believe it. And you know what he's got? He's got barns that are overflowing. We can't even count the grain. You know what he did? He forgave us. He put us at his table. He proved who he was. They washed our feet, Daddy. That'll make a Presbyterian shout, amen? You know what, Daddy? We're gonna gather you up and we're gonna get all we got 
And we'd taken a field trip down to Egypt. Wow. So what happened? Notice with me finally that Joseph restores his family. What does, how does he do it? Two things real quick. He does it by sharing his abundant resources. You read about that in verse 20. It says, for the best of all the land is yours. Daddy, daddy he's not giving us his leftovers. He's giving us the best he's got. He sure does want to see you, Daddy. You won't believe how he responded, Daddy, how he hugged Benjamin, and how he forgave Judah and Reuben for how mean they were. But he also restores his family through active revival. When Joseph got the report of his, excuse me, when Jacob got the report of Joseph's glory as governor of Egypt, the Bible said he was utterly stunned. Wait a minute. 22 years they've been telling me that he is no more <laughs> wait a minute but as soon as he heard the word he was utterly stunned but shortly thereafter look here the Bible says the spirit of Jacob his father somebody say it to me was revived wait a minute He's mourning this son for 22 years. He's let his older boys talk him into taking the baby boy with him. He's nervous, he's anxious, he's concerned. And they come back and say, Daddy, here's Benjamin, he's good. Here's all of us. And let us tell you about, we found Joseph. Where'd you find him at? Well, we was bowing at his feet, just begging him to buy gray. Daddy, he's the governor. There's only one guy more powerful than him in Egypt. His name's Pharaoh. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a defining moment, not just for Jacob. This was a defining moment, not just for Joseph. This was a defining moment, not just for those brothers. This was a defining moment for a nation. How do you know? At that point, Jacob's family told about 70 people he moved them to Egypt to be with Joseph. Jacob got to spend the last 17 years of his life with Joseph. Just sharing in his glory down there in Egypt. <laughs> Died at the ripe old age of 147. But those 70 people, why was it defining for them? Because 450 years later, those 70 people were now a nation of 2 million. 450 years later, they would receive the promise to go back to the land of Canaan. How did it happen? All because of the forgiveness of one man. Use your sanctified imagination for a minute. How would this story play out if Joseph would have said, I'm going to give them what they deserve. The forgiveness of one man gave birth to a nation that had claimed their inheritance. It's kind of like a, it's a real spiritual movie I was watching one time. You ever seen it? It's called Forrest Gump. <laughs> and just like that, right? Life's like a box of chocolates, huh? Y'all remember, oh, Forrest Remember that girl he loved so much, Jenny? Jenny, remember her? 
you remember the part of the movie where she would stand and throw rocks at the barn? Remember that? She'd throw rocks at that barn because when she was a child, she was abused in that barn. And that barn was a very, very difficult place. So she'd stand and throw rocks at the building. And you remember what Forrest said to her one day out there? He said, Jenny, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks to throw. What do we learn from that? Well, here's what I want you to know. If you keep throwing rocks and you keep practicing unforgiveness and you keep giving people what they deserve, just keep in mind what you deserve, okay? If you keep doing that thing, you know what? You'll always find more rocks to throw. You'll always find more rocks to throw. You know why? Because the devil's intent on keeping you living a life of unforgiveness. He don't want you to be like Joseph. No, no. He wants you to live in unforgiveness. You know what he'll do? He'll keep coming at you because he doesn't want you to be released from the bondage of unforgiveness. Joseph demonstrates for us just what God can do when we turn it over and turn it loose. You know what I think it's time to do for a lot of people? I think it's time that we reach in our pockets, we find all the rocks we got, and we just drop the rocks. Don't you think so? Because I want to tell you, if we're ever going to accomplish what God put us here to do, we'll never accomplish it throwing rocks at each other. Never do it. Never one time. We'll never accomplish it while harboring unforgiveness in our heart. We'll never accomplish it by doing what, giving folks what we think they deserve. We'll only accomplish it by getting so wrapped up in him, so intertwined in him, that who we are on Sunday is who we are all the time. Amen. And practicing biblical forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon, I believe, was said this. Let us go to Calvary and see how we've been forgiven. And then let's hang around a while and see how we can forgive others. Aren't you grateful for a biblical example like Joseph? His forgiveness rescued a nation. Your forgiveness might rescue you. It might rescue your family. It might rescue this church. It might rescue this community. Who knows? It might give way to active revival. Whatever God chooses, may we realize that he has forged us with the circumstances of this life to forgive like he did and be an example to a world that needs him so desperately. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today. Thank you for how you spoke to my heart. And I pray, God, that I've just come here today to be a living demonstration of what your word teaches us. Father, we've all lived long enough. We've all been hurt. We've all been burned all gone through difficult things that we cannot explain but Father I know that there is no hurt on this earth that heaven can heal Father I pray today for those in this room on the sound of my voice and those watching by way of internet today that God may 
God may in this hour they really realize who they are and how they stand with you because that's all that matters it's not what I think what they think what anybody else thinks it's what you know and may this be an hour Father that we begin to see the activity of revival spreading heart to heart hand to hand God may we see repentance take place in your house today may we see restoration take place in your house today may we see your glory fall among us may we see you adding to your kingdom may we see lives forever changed may we see families forever changed God may you forever change this church today never be about us be all about you Lord whatever you desire to do I pray every decision today be made in accordance to your perfect will may the son of God be glorified is my prayer in Jesus name amen and amen heads about eyes are closed here's the invitation today in just a moment we're going to stand and sing and I want you to hear me if God has spoke to your heart today don't let the devil win one on you don't let him talk you into walking out of here without making it right with him. We're here to receive you and we want to help you, not hurt you. If, you need to, if you've never come to Jesus, you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, not sure you'd go to heaven if you died today, I want to encourage you to come. The very first word, the very first verse of this song. Step in that nearest aisle and make your way for I promise you. You're in a room full of people that will not throw rocks at you, but they will celebrate the goodness of God and the transformation in your life today. I'd encourage you to come today. Give us the opportunity to just introduce you to Jesus. You're here today. You're a child of God. And you say, you know what? I'm, I'm like you, preacher. I'm struggling. I got mess and everything else. I just need to come talk to God. Come find a place here at all to talk to God child of God and you say you know I believe God will have us to serve in this local church we'd encourage you to come and make that public today whatever it is the Lord leads you to do we want you to honor him Father in Jesus name we pray that you would draw weary souls to the cross God encourage and empower your children to do what you'd have them to do and may you be glorified through the fruits of this invitation today in Jesus name stand our feet all across the house Marty's going to lead us like I said if God has spoken to you very first word the very first verse you just come to Jesus and just give it all to him Marty when you're ready I have decided to
trusted to us. Uh, we are just thankful for every opportunity we have to give. Miss Ella, you want to come around? Miss Ella's going to play for us here in a minute on our offertory. Come on up, sweetheart. I help you. She's so pretty. You didn't get it from your daddy. Go on over, everybody. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He saw that coming a mile away. No, good. That's by my girls, too. I always say, they, people say good things about my girls. I just always respond by saying their mama did a great job. Amen. But hey, this is a blessing. This is a time of worship. Giving is an act of worship. And so as we give today, we're saying, you know what, Lord? <clears throat> it's not this tithe that belongs to you because it's really all yours. I wouldn't have any of it if it wasn't for you. And I'm not, you know, giving back to you what's yours so you'll like me and all that kind of stuff. It's like, Lord, I'm just declaring my dependence on you. My total dependence on you because I realize everything in my life, just like Joseph. Everything in my life brought us to this point. Amen. So as we give today, remember to give from our hearts cheerfully, joyfully, sacrificially, and all those adverbs. Amen. From your heart today so that God would be glorified. And it also keeps us on the mission field touching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. So let's just join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
just the way we practiced it, wasn't it? We are. Amen. Thank you, sweetie. God bless you. That's good. You were right ahead. I tell you, we worked hard on that one, so I tell you, but we appreciate that. That's mighty sweet. Star of wonder, star of light. Amen. Hey, uh, before we get out of here today, don't forget, uh, coming up this week, I know there's all kinds of stuff going on. I know everybody's calendars are probably crazy and full, but uh, it was really good to see, uh, of course, Bobby and my buddy Jimmy. Two of them had serious surgeries and back with us today. So good to see y'all. Just thank God for what I got. a lot of friends hurting out there, you know. And the one way I've learned to kind of deal with my own hurt a little bit is just try to really focus on reaching out to those others that are hurting too, you know. A lot of hurting people and holidays seem to blow that up a little bit. But uh, nevertheless, God is faithful regardless of the season, isn't he? He's faithful even when we're not. But I want to encourage you today as you go out, think about what we've talked about today. Um, think, think about how God can use that in your life this week. And whether it's unilateral forgiveness or whether it's transactional, whatever it is, make sure you practice it regularly and frequently in your life so you can stay close and clean before God. Amen? Because the devil will use it as a wedge. If he can get something on you to where you'll carry a grudge, he will eat your lunch. Amen. But I'll tell you, when you take that and you drop the rocks, you quit throwing rocks and you start bowing down and giving it to God, he can use you. Amen. This Wednesday, 6 o'clock for everybody. Uh, I hope I look forward to this Wednesday and enjoy the Wednesday nights. I encourage you, if you're not currently coming on Wednesday, I encourage you to do that. Get your children in the children's ministry at 6. Students, get your students in the student ministry. Get up here in the prayer meeting and and uh, we can just see God do some great things because I believe the prayer meeting is the engine that really drives the power of the church. I really do. And I believe all my heart we need to focus and we'll talk about that in 22 about focusing some more time, effort, and energy on that. But don't forget as you go out today, never forget that God loves you and I love you and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. I'll be outside there to catch you on the way around.